You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Well, good morning, Northside. Northside today is 42 years, 10 months, and 6 days old. And for the first time in history, we are giving birth. That seems like old, doesn't it? But not for a church. Medina launch happens today, and that is absolutely an incredible feat. Uh, That deserves a round of applause. Absolutely amazing. It was a dream from the very beginning when Northside was started to call it Northside because it was on the north side of Wadsworth and to always think northward that someday we would start a new church. Uh, uh, To be honest with you, Maybe my faith waned just a little bit, but about 10 years ago, I thought, man, it would never happen in my ministry. So we started trying to save money ahead so that maybe someday down the road, and then that time has come. That time has come primarily because uh, we see things are ready in Medina, and our our staff was ready to do something like that. Uh, We didn't quite have the money financially. In fact, our budget jumps up 10% today. So uh, we appreciate your support in that way because it's like awfully tight. However, um, uh, it's because of the staff that God has assembled. And I think God's doing something big in Medina and he has chosen us to be a part of that. And I think that is really, really cool. Um, But uh, there has been years of saving and planning and organization and, and work that has been done all of our staff has stepped up and, and they're trying to kind of do two jobs a little bit. Uh, they could not do it without so many of our people that have given of themselves to go up to Medina. And so we're kind of a little bit bare today because of that. Um, but we, they couldn't have done it. And by the way, um, our staff has kind of been doing double duty here the last like six months or so getting ready for this. We've tried to increase and double in everything, but they've not received one red cent more than what their normal salary is. And so uh, this is a uh, Pastor Appreciation Month. So, so really encourage our staff. Uh, right now, half of our staff is in Medina, half of them are here, and we'll have to do that for the first few weeks to kind of get this rolling. But, uh, but, but anyway, uh, take a few moments to appreciate them. Whether it's a handshake, a pat on the back, a hug, uh, write them a card, an email, uh, a gift certificate to their favorite restaurant, uh, wh- whatever it is, uh, just take a few moments to appreciate them this month because many of them are working really, really extra hard on that. The only way Medina is going to be successful is if God is in it. Now, can you imagine, that's what happened here in Wadsworth. It started with just a handful of people, and years later, it's, it's well over a thousand people. Wouldn't that be neat if a thousand people more ended up in God's kingdom because of the, the church that was started in Medina? Because our goal is, uh, people aren't coming to the churches today, so we want to take the church to them. Now, wouldn't it be neat if in about five or ten years, that church ran a thousand people? That would be awesome. The only way it's going to succeed is by our prayers and our support. So let's just uh, start this morning with a, a moment of prayer for Medina. God Almighty, we know that right now they are in the middle of their very first service. God, we don't know how many people are there. I pray there's two, three, four hundred people. Some of them may be God that has never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. Wouldn't that be awesome? God, I pray that you would be in that service today. I pray that it would be spirit-filled and spirit-led and people would be energized and people would walk out there saying, man, I didn't know there could be a church like this in Medina. And, And God, thank you for us at Northside being able to breathe our DNA into that church up there. Uh, God, to be like us. 
us and, and so that we can glorify you in a great way. God, we know it's only going to be successful if you are behind this and you're working in this and through us. And, and, and God, that we are partnering with you to accomplish this. And it's all for your glory. It's all to bring other people to Jesus Christ so that someday heaven will be richer because some of our family and friends from Medina are in church and they are forgiven of their sins and they're walking with Christ. And someday they'll live forever in heaven because of that. God, I pray that you would be glorified through this and through our faith and our sacrifices that we're making for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a good friend, uh, uh, Dave Stone. He just retired just a little bit ago. He, is, he led one of the largest Christian churches in America in Louisville, Kentucky. He's retired now. And uh, so Kyle Eidelman, some of you know his name and some others have taken over. But uh, uh, Dave is just one of those guys that he just has everything. You know, he's tall. He's probably 6'4". Uh, he's blonde hair, blue-eyed, good-looking, thin. He's, he's smart. He's a good speaker. It's like he's just got everything. And uh, he was telling one day that in church they were having a baby dedication day, you know, like we have here. And when you have a baby dedication day, lots of moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles who don't normally come to church, they come to church. And so that's what was happening. They were having a baby dedication day. So he is very, very much an extrovert. And so he was going around trying to introduce himself to everybody. And he introduced himself to this one lady. And she says, hello. He said, hello, I'm Dave Stone. And she said, really? Um, you're nothing like I expected. And he says, like, yeah, really, I'm Dave Stone. And she says, well, I've listened to your radio broadcast for years and years, but I've never had a chance to meet you. You're nothing like I thought that you would look. I thought you would be short and fat and bald. And he said, what in the world do you say to something like that? And he said, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> if you come back in a few years, maybe I'll be fat and bald. Um, but, but, you know, he said, he said she didn't know who he was because she had a totally different perception, uh, perception of who he was and what he would look like. You know, I think the church suffers from that today. I think that people on the outside look at the church and they have a different perception as to what the church really ought to be like. And sometimes they, people on the outside, they look at the church as being judgmental. They look at it as being not loving, unfriendly, unkind, uh, out of touch with reality. They're, they're not in the present world. And they don't really understand what's going on. And so there's this perception of people on the outside look at the church and they don't think it is what it is. Because maybe they haven't really gotten the real truth of the story. It happens all the time. It happens in our media. I don't know whether you noticed this or not, but in the last few weeks, a professional football player, a Christian, Drew Brees, did a 22-second video for Focus on the Family. And it was just 22 seconds of the national Bring Your Bible to School Day. Well, that was it. 22 seconds, would you bring your Bible to school and stand for your Christian faith? He got attacked and criticized like you could not imagine by the, and I, have, I never can remember all these initials, by the anti-LGBTQ organization. Because they were accusing Focus on the Family, the organization that was putting this together, as being a hate group, as being violence against uh, the, that community, et cetera, et cetera, and that they bashed them uh, and they promoted hate. 
Now, I have been familiar with focused on the family probably for the last 40, 40 some years. And I've never known them to ever bash anybody. I've never known them to promote hate. I've never heard anything in that regard at, at all. <clears throat> but when I saw that, I went back to their website and I was looking through and never saw anything about hate or, or bashing anybody for anything. Just promoted love and family values. In fact, their mission statement, look at their mission statement. Our mission to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as possible by nurturing and defending the God-ordained institution of the family and promoting biblical truths worldwide. So that's what they stand for, but they have been attacked. In fact, there's this perception problem, and when people hear about that all over the world, they think, well, the church is that way too. They're just anti-everybody. They, they don't love people, and they don't care about people. Well, Drew Brees tried to clarify what his stance was as a Christian, and he said this, I live by two very simple Christian fundamentals. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, so whether people in the world, they hear about it from the media, or maybe you hear about it in the break room at work, um, wherever it might be, that, that you're being fed some of this, this garbage that isn't the truth, or maybe you have feelings like that that you carry around for a long time, but we're living in a world that does not see the value of coming together as a group of listening to the Word of God. They don't see the benefit of any spiritual instruction or insight or oversight in their life. And so here's the conclusion a lot of people in the world have come to. They say yes to Jesus, no to the church. Now, I believe they truly don't understand the, the church and what the church is. And sometimes you hear it not just from outside the church, you hear it from inside the church. Uh, there was another church plant, not ours, and listen to their advertisement. A promotion for a new church plant reads this way. Church doesn't have to suck. Happy, happy hour service this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Now, I didn't think I would ever say that word in the pulpit. <laughs> but some of us might smile because, oh, that's such a trendy uh, message and that really gets your attention. But, you know, it is, it is implying that the church is irrelevant, that it's boring, that it's not any good to go to. And so we're going to be different is what kind of acting like. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, you hear that from the world, and you kind of expect that as they attack the church. But sometimes you hear it from people from within the church. Things like saying the church is irrelevant, uncaring, legalistic, homophobic, intolerant, hypocritical, and judgmental. You name it, the indictments go on. And I really get kind of tired um, of, of people kind of taking that stance um, in fact, some of them, it seems like they love the people in the world more than they love the people in the church. Now, they would say they have their reasons. Maybe some of them would say, well, you know, when they were younger, church was just so boring they couldn't stand it. It's out of touch with reality. Maybe they had a preacher that he was angry all the time, and he, all he, he ever did was yell in his sermons, and, and he always just preached about hell and nothing else. Or maybe the preacher was monotone. And, and he, would, he would just talk at such a low, boring, like, like two or three minutes of that, it's like you're ready to go to sleep. By the way, if you stayed after three or four o'clock in the morning, I know there were some of you kids out there, um, <clears throat> don't fall asleep during the sermon, all right? Um, uh, maybe you had an uncle that went to church every time the doors were open, and everybody thought, man, this is a great Christian guy, and maybe he was, maybe he was uh, abusing you in some way. 
and, and so you have a bad taste in your mouth, and somehow in your mind you think, well, every Christian in every church is kind of kind of like that. Um, you know, and so what they say, well, Jesus is still important. It's just I don't have any use for the church. Um, and maybe, why is that? Maybe it's because people don't really see enough of Christ in the church. And I really hope that that's not the case with Northside. Maybe, maybe there's lots of reasons for it. Maybe somebody had a bad experience somewhere along the line. They volunteered uh, at a long time ago and they weren't appreciated. Or maybe, um, maybe the preacher misappropriated funds. Or maybe the church split and, and they were on opposite sides of their friends. And they said, man, I don't ever go through that again. Maybe somebody said something that hurt their feelings. Um, but, but, you know, uh, some people say, well, I'd never go to church. There's just too many hypocrites in church. You know what I tell them? I say, you might as well come. There's room for one more. Uh, <laughs> they don't really like that too much, but it's true. It's absolutely true because there's none of us that are perfect, and we're all here because we understand that we're not perfect, and that's why we need Jesus Christ. They don't like that very well, but the church, uh, there is no such thing as a perfect ter- church. Uh, we're all messed up people. Okay, some of us are messed up more than others, but we're all messed up. We all need God's saving grace, and, and that's why we come. But, but people don't understand that. It is, it's unrealistic to expect any church to be perfect or to have people that are perfect in that uh, because people are flawed. They're imperfect, especially in the pulpit. It's just kind of the way we are. But some people use that as an excuse, hypocrisy in the church, you know. Sure, there's hypocrites in the church, but there's hypocrites in Walmart too, but you go to Walmart, right? And so... Um, <clears throat> Uh, sometimes there's this lack of vulnerability and accountability and humility. Sometimes we, we don't want to fray, uh, share our sins and our struggles and, and our slip-ups. Um, and, and, and you understand, outside looking in, that can be repulsive to some people. Um, and they say, well, that's not a church I want to be at. Yes to Jesus, but no to the church. If that's what they think, they're missing a total fundamental part about who the church is. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. God placed all things under his feet, that's Jesus, under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So that says Christ is the head of the church. The pastor is not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. It is Jesus Christ. And no one gets a pay grade high enough to challenge the doctrine of the church or to challenge what Jesus has established in his word that we ought to follow because he is the head of the church. And so we're going to start a series just this month, uh, a few short sermons, talking about I love the church. I have to confess, I love the church. I have loved this church, not just this church, I have loved the church for as long as I can remember. I gave my life to Christ when I was 13 years old, and I know I loved the church when, when I was that age. But I think I loved the church even longer, though, because I saw that as the body of Christ, a place that was loving and forgiving, a place that was a family. Some of us have very positive thoughts about the church. But there's other people that have very painful thoughts about the church and what happened to them in their life. But I want to say that I love the church. And, and one of the most refreshing things that I hear that people say is they say, you know, I love our church. In fact, we had a lady go out of the first service this morning. She said, I, just, I, I want to make a confession. I said, what's that? She said, I just want to tell you, I love our church. And, and there's all kinds of reasons for why I love our church. But sometimes uh, we also hear people like, well, you know, I first came, I drove past this church, and, and we looked and, and think, okay, 
that's probably not a church I would ever go to because it's like that is way too big. And, and they had different thoughts about that kind of uh, thing and, uh, b- before coming to Northside. But once they come, they, they kind of think, wow, I really kind of, I love this church. And part of it is because who we are. Here is our mission, that we love God, serve others, and win one. That's what we ought to be doing. And so God unites us together for the purpose of of doing his work here on this earth. And so in other words, it's just not this feel-good club. It's we join together to accomplish something together in God's kingdom. And when we do things like that, love God, serve others, and win one, what happens is we, uh, we unite together on purpose. And when we are unified, then God is glorified. And we may be one church in two locations, but we're united in everything that we're trying to accomplish for the will of God and is to His glory. And when we show that, we show a healthy, vibrant church. and has nothing to do with the numbers. But people have misconceptions. And those misconceptions, they're not going to be changed by an organization. They're going to be changed by people. As people come into contact with you and they find out, who Jesus Christ really is and, and what Jesus Christ and his church is really all about. You know, uh, I, I understand when some people kind of think, okay, this isn't the church for me. I, I know I totally understand that. You know, it's like when people drive by, they think, I wonder what in the world happens in there. Or I wonder what kind of kook leads that place in there. Uh, you know, I can understand questions like that. But what if, what if through the way that we really radically loved the church and we loved people, Do you think that would make any difference? What if people saw Christ in the church? And what if people really saw Christ in us in a way they really haven't seen in other people in other churches before? And so I think we've got to begin with, when I love my church, we begin with the greatest and the most important task that we would have before us. And it's like, I need to radically love because that's what he calls us to do. So I have a couple of questions. Here's question number one. Why is it so important that I radically love other people. Why, why is that important? Well, first of all, Jesus, Jesus taught that. Jesus modeled that. Jesus commanded that. In a moment, we're going to look at John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, it begins the second half of the Gospel of John. The first half, you see him in a lot of public conversations with lots of people. But as he turns into the second half of the book, there's, there's more private conversations with his disciples where he is pouring himself into the disciples to become who he wants them to be. In fact, the night that he says this is the night that he's going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. And this is what he says. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so by that verse, he says, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. That must be the defining mark, whether or not people know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. I also want you to notice that Jesus didn't say, try to love your neighbor. He didn't say that, did he? he, he it, this is a command, love one another, is what he's saying here. 
Um, now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but I think probably most of us do have been in church a long time. The Bible was not written in English. It was written in the Greek language. The Greek language is one of the most precise languages that's ever been on the face of this earth. I think that's why God gave us the New Testament in the Greek language, because he really wanted us to understand just exactly what he's saying. Now, let me ex explain it this way. We have one word for love, okay? Like, I love pizza. I love sports. I love the Browns. Okay, let's hope they do better this year, okay? Um, uh, I love the Buckeyes. I love, uh, I love my family, you know? Now, that can cause a little bit of predicament. It's like, because my family's kind of wondering, okay, where do I rank in love? Like, somewhere between pepperoni and cheese, or where, where is that, right? Let me give you a Greek lesson just a little bit. I had two or three years of Greek in college. It's been a long, long time ago. I can't remember if it was two years or three years. It could have been two years, but it felt like three years. Uh, I don't really remember. But uh, there are four words in the Greek for the word love. We just have the one word love. You know, I love. And there's four words. So here's a little Greek lesson that we're going to have. Now, bear with me. It took me two or three years, but I only have like four minutes to share this with you. So, so uh, it won't be long. Um, they get very, very specific. Here's the first word. Uh, by the way, I'm going to pronounce it eros. Um, uh, we had a guy from the Greek, his family's all from Greece in the first hour. I pronounce every one of them wrong. His wife's in the second service here today. They're probably checking up on my Greek language. I learned it from an American. I learned it from books, all right? But anyway, eros. We get this word, we, we get the English word erotic from that. And what that means is it is a sexual love. It's a physical attraction in that. And, and so let's sum it up this way. It is, I love you if. I love you if you look good to me. I love you if you'll do what I want you to do, if you do this for me. It, it's kind of a I love you if kind of statement. Very, very conditional. The second word, second and third word kind of grouped together. The second word is storge, um, which means um, it's a friendship uh, a, a close friendship that maybe you have a close friendship somebody you work with somebody something like that uh, the third word is phileo uh, he pronounced it totally different than I did I can't remember how he, I told him by the time I got up here and preached I'd forget how he pronounced it um, but uh, it, it means family love and, and we use that word in fact he says that's where the word friend came from Fi, filio anyway however um, in fact that's where we get the word friend um, another illustration Philadelphia the city of brotherly love, because that's what that means, right? And so that's the third word. Um, but this is kind of like, um, I know some of you are thinking, okay, it's all Greek to me. I don't understand a bit of it. Um, but it's like, I love you because. I love you because you're my family. I love you because you're my friend. So it's, it's a little bit better, but somewhere between unconditional and conditional kind of love and the fourth word if you've been a christian for a long time you probably were, heard the word agape uh, i always pronounce it agape he pronounced it agape okay but agape agape means unconditional love and that's the love that god shared with us that he loves us in fact a good way to look at it, in spite of he loves us in spite of who we are he loves us in spite of the mistakes we make he loves us in spite of the sins that we do he loves us in spite of the fact that we may never return his love back to them. That's unconditional love. And so he commands us to love that way. Uh, that's agape love. But sometimes we have, you know, different motivations. Last week, 
uh, Eric preached. Uh, Eric is a, such a good preacher, such a young, young preacher. Uh, encourage him. Uh, he's going to be the backup between here and there. Uh, when I'm gone, he'll preach here, and when Jeff's gone, he'll preach there. Except for November 17th, Jeff and I are going to flip just because I want to see what's going on more so even up there by next month. Um, but Eric preaches. And when he preaches, he does such a good job. He just like knocks it out of the park. Last week I was on vacation. I tried to squeeze one in, and I'm like in the Gulf of Mexico, and, and uh, I get this text from Jeff, and uh, he just Eric's just knocking it out of the park. And Jeff texts, and I think, okay, I better look at this because, you know, this is church, something's going on, I better find out what's going on. And so I look at his text, and it's this. Um, I look down, and it says, uh, I sure am glad that you have to follow him next week, not me. <laughs> That is not brotherly love, okay? <laughs> that is not family love, all right? You know what that is? That is grounds for dismissal. That's what that is. Um, okay, Greek class is over. I'm sure you probably did better than I did. But when Jesus commands love, what word do you think he uses? He uses agape. Look back at our text, John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love, agape. That unconditional love. You love others unconditionally as I have loved or agape you. So that you must love unconditionally agape one another. And by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's how God wants us to love. God modeled that so much that he sent his son to die for us on the cross for that. God loved the unlovely. God loved people that, that were often ignored or rejected. God loved people that were hostile. God, people that were vulgar, dishonest. That's really hard for us sometimes to love people like that. But he says that's how he wants you to love. Later when John is writing 1 John, he uses uh, the word that's more like a family love because he sees the church as a family that we ought to love against uh, that we ought to love one another. Uh, even though we don't deserve it, we ought to walk in love. Sometimes that goes against our nature, and it's really hard because of what people have done against us. Um, but our love for others is evidence that Jesus is living in us and in our church. And so sometimes we say, well, you, know, you, you find yourself doing something, and you think, man, I wouldn't have done that five years ago. And you think, well, that's because you're cr growing closer to Christ and more like Christ. And, and, and so you ought to be more and more like that. God modeled that agape love. No strings attached. Now, you may know this, but you, there's nothing you can do that makes God going to love you more. And there's nothing you can do that's ever going to make God love you less. And that's the kind of love that God wants us to have to other people. It's total unconditional love. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, part of what the church ought to do, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. There it is again. Christ is the head of the church. And without the head, you're dead. And so Christ is the head of the church here. Um, and so we come together every week to worship the Lord, to get instructions from Him, to be inspired, to, uh, to, to unite together with the same, same mind, same purpose, same direction in life, so that when we're unified, then God is glorified. And that is a very powerful picture to the church of what the church ought to be like uh, to the skeptical world. I love my church because we're on a mission together for God. The second question, 
well, how can I love more radically? If, if, if he says that, that you ought to love more radically, how, how can I do that? Uh, look at John, 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In fact, when I was a little kid, we used to sing that song. I'm not going to torture you with that today. But, but look at that last verse. Whoever does not, just make sure you get this. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's pretty critical that we understand that. You know, in the fruits of the Spirit, do you know what fruit is mentioned first? Look at over Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first thing mentioned. Love, joy, peace, uh, you know, after that. But love. And so how can we love more radically in the church? How can we love more radically in our, commun in our community? Uh, two things. Number one, love must be intentional. It's not an impulse. It's not something that's like, oh yeah, by the way, just, you know, just kind of come. It's something that you intentionally do. It is something that you intentionally try to get out of your comfort zone. You intentionally look for people that you can love and try to help in some way or another, that you try to encourage somebody else and lift them up. Um, I love the church because we're all connected in that way. And we're always trying to help uh, new people. In fact, in the next few weeks, we'll do the bumper bags again. And uh, there's so many ways that our church has tried to help people in this community and ultimately all around the world. Uh, taking care of some of our special needs children is what a ministry I see for some of our people that, that do that. Christ's love is amazing. And when we love like that, then the people, and even in a skeptical world, are going to take up and notice. You know, love talked about can be ignored, but love demonstrated is a whole different scenario. So it must be intentional. The second thing, it must be unconditional. He says that we ought to love everyone. Now, um, it, it, you actually are doing things for people that you normally wouldn't do. Maybe, maybe you forgive that person that's really been bad to you. Maybe you have a neighbor that's nasty and you write a note and say, you know, hey, I know it was your birthday. I just wanted to encourage you. Happy birthday. You know, maybe uh, you go and the waitress isn't very good and, and kind of had a, a bum rap. And maybe it's you, you uh, leave a good tip and just say, you know, uh, just want to bless you today. Um, and, and especially do that if you're wearing a Northside Christian Church shirt, okay, when you're out in the community. Because you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you're an ambassador of this church. You are a reflection for Jesus. And, and we ought to do it just because we love God and because he commanded us to do it. Sometimes, though, we all have motives that are underneath that. You ever notice that? That we do things, but we kind of want other people to notice. Let me give you a story. I don't know if I ever told you this or not, but uh, when I was in junior high, I know, junior, senior high school, I kind of had my eyes on, on this girl. She lived in another town just a little bit over and kind of had an interest there. And, and so on our first date, I was going to go over to her house and I was going to have dinner with her family. I think the family wanted to meet me, uh, just kind of check me out and see if I was okay to let their daughter, you know, be entrusted to me. And, and so I, I go over there because I don't want to be late. I hate being late. So I go over there early. And it's like I'm early, so it's like I don't want to show up too early. So I start putzing around town and, and I go into this candy shop. And I start talking to the guy that's working the, behind the counter, and I find out that he actually is the one that owns the candy shop. And uh, so, you know, as I'm looking around, looking around, I said, okay, I will take three boxes of chocolate, okay? Um, I want a large box, a medium box, and a small box. And so the guy, as he's ringing me up, he says, you know, I'm just curious. 
why do you want three boxes of chocolate? I, I've never really heard that before. And I says, well, it's because I'm going to go on a date the first time, never really met her family, and I just want to make a good impression. And, and, uh, and you know, when, when we leave, if she follows me out to the car and, and she gives me a hug, I'm going to reach in the car and give her a small box of chocolate. But if she, if she gives me a good hug and gives me a, kiss, a peck on the cheek, I'll reach in and give her the medium, medium box of chocolate. But if she gives me one of those long, passionate kisses, I'm going to reach in and give her the large box of chocolate. He says, oh, well, I've never heard anything like that before, but, but whatever. Uh, so, uh, so I left and went, kind of drove around just a little bit. And then I, I go to her house just about the time the family's sitting down to eat, right? And as we sit down to eat, then the father comes home. He had been out working. He comes down, sits in, and he looks across the table at me, and he asks me to pray. And so I started praying and praying and praying and praying. And I prayed all the way through the New Testament. I prayed, <laughs> I prayed all the way through the Old Testament. I prayed. I prayed, Lord, bless this food. I pray for blessing all the four food groups. I, I, I pray for everything. It must have gone on for 10 minutes or something. And so we had a good meal. We had a good visit. And then the time came to leave, right? And I'm going out. And she says, Robin, you know, I learned something about you tonight. And I says, what's that? And she says, I, le- I didn't know you were that spiritual. And I says, well, I learned something about you tonight, too. I didn't know your dad owned the candy shop, okay? <laughs> Now, that didn't really happen. But if you knew me when I was junior or senior in high school, you probably said, well, that could have happened. Uh, but, but love's pretty complicated, an emotional thing. And sometimes we do things hoping somebody else is going to see us do it. Like involved in community service, but we're just hoping our boss sees that so that maybe he'll give us a raise or entrust us with something a little bit more. And so sometimes we have mixed emotions. And Jesus says that, that shouldn't be the way it is that, you know, that's, it's like you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's not agape love. Agape love is no strings attached. So the reason, remember reasons that some people say yes to Jesus, but no to the church is maybe because they haven't seen enough Christ in the church and enough Christ in us. Okay. I want you to think, don't answer out loud. I want you to think, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? When you think somebody at Northside showed me love, what's the first thing that came to your mind? Let me give you several answers here. Someone displayed the love of Christ to me by discipling me and not judging me. Someone donated for me to go on a mission trip and they selflessly followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The love of the church showed when my dad passed away That love was just incredible. My small group has become a tight, supporting body of Christ, and together we share the love of Christ. Northside Christian's mission work has really, truly touched me. I learned that Jesus is my source of hope and that He will never walk out on me. I had cancer, and a Bible study group that I didn't know prayed for me. This church raised thousands of dollars to help cover the cost of my spouse's funeral. We love because he first loved us. If you look across the world, 
The church starts and funds most inner city missions that, uh, that uh, help with the addicted and the homeless. They're the ones that undergird most orphanages across the world. They're the ones that start and run pregnancy centers that assist single moms. We consistently in every community teach moral values to a world that's falling apart. When catastrophes hit like Hurricane Katrina, the church is one of the first ones there to give help. When the hurricane in Haiti happened, the church is one of the first ones to respond and that it happens all over the globe. And after the government is gone and after the TV cameras are gone, who's the one left still building houses and still helping people? And if you check to people in the local neighborhoods, you will say, they will say it is the church that have done that. Who is it that sends mission teams to third world impoverished countries that help them to dig wells and purify their water and to provide mental, uh, medical and dental work for people in those kind of countries? In every community, churches provide free counseling, food pantries, substance abuse programs. Uh, they, have, they provide for children with special needs. They provide backpacks for needy children in local schools. They have generous food baskets at Thanksgiving. They have free toys at Christmas time. The list could go on and on and on. There is no way to measure the number of marriages that have been saved, the suicides prevented, the divorces averted, the emotional and family problems that people go through, there's no way to, me to measure all of that. Some of the very best people that I have ever known, the best godly people, have been in this church and other churches that I have known. People that I think of that, that fathers stayed with their wives while their wife had dementia and, and was falling apart and couldn't even remember who they were and they ministered to them to the day that they died. Or mothers who would constantly guide and nurture their children even though they had an abusive husband. Or parents who ministered to special needs children and the difficulty that that would have. Um, elderly saints with severe health problems and yet they endured and suffered in the name of Christ with grace. Wealthy businessmen and businesswomen who would uh, quietly and behind the scenes donate thousands of dollars to help people and help community organizations. Where would the world be? without the church. I love the church. In 1 John chapter 4, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you know that phrase, ought to, is really the word that means obligated? We are indebted to love other people, all of us. But we're all made up of broken, messy people. We're all imperfect, and we all don't measure up sometimes. That's why I think we cling to this verse in Philippians chapter 1, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the very day of Jesus Christ. The church, it may not be everything it's supposed to be, but by the grace of God, we will be. I pray that we become the church, that people see Christ in this church because they see Christ in you. I love this church. And when we radically love others and our community and the next community and our neighbors, people will notice. Let's pray. God Almighty, I pray for you to fill us with the mind of Christ. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see people as you see people. God, I pray that you would help us to love people, love our community, love our church radically. 
that people will see that there is a difference because it's easy to talk love, but sometimes it's not so easy to demonstrate it. But when we demonstrate it, people notice. And God, whether it's something as simple as, as Pastor Appreciation Month or whether it's, it's reaching out to a neighbor or, or somebody that's going through a struggle and, and you're, you're constantly texting them back and forth because they're, they're going through heartache and, and, and a hardship, or God, you're just there for somebody because they've just received that diagnosis of cancer or their spouse has just died or they struggle because they have a special needs child or their spouse has dementia. God, there's so many ways that we can show love. And we pray people in this community and people in the Medina community will see that we radically love Jesus Christ, we radically love his church, and we radically love other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to challenge you to radically love, to love this church the way so many others love this church. Maybe you want to make a commitment. You've never made a commitment. Maybe you just don't really even understand what that's all about. I want to encourage you to come. We'll talk through that. To become who God wants us to become. Let's stand.